What is up, everybody? Good to see you all today. I missed you last week, kind of, because it was such an amazing weekend away from the tree. How many people went to the retreat? Wasn't that awesome? I told everybody to throw it in everybody else's face as much as possible so that we all know not to miss next year. Uh, Seriously, it was just an incredible time away. Three days uh, to be with each other and to be with God. Uh, You know, I love to be with God alone. I'm an introvert. I could be with God alone for weeks and not have a care in the world. Uh, But (laughs) my fellow introvert right here. But there's just something special about gathering the body and just having one purpose for three days uh, and just seeing God show up. What I I really loved about it is I have been in places, in fact, I have done it myself, where I try really hard to just conjure up something, you know, to to make things happen. Uh, But there was just such an element of rest the entire weekend, knowing that God, we are here if you want to show up. And he showed up in such incredible ways. Um, It was great. If you see people walking around with the pursuit shirt, you can give them a high five because they came on the retreat and they're showing it off. They're following my instructions. (laughs) Today, we are continuing our series called Friend. The title of today's sermon is Hearing and Doing. Uh, My name is Justin, by the way. I'm the pastor here for anybody that is new or we haven't met yet. I would love to meet you after service. Usually I'm right outside in the hallway somewhere. If I haven't met you before and I'm talking to somebody else, feel free to say excuse me and interrupt my conversation and introduce yourself. I would just love to meet you. Uh, And we have been in this series called James. Now this is week number five and we are not out of chapter one yet, uh, which I, I love that. And we are in chapter 1 of James, verses 22 to 27. And as I said, the title of today's message is Hearing and Doing. In this series, what we're doing is we're looking at all that it means to be a friend of the world or a friend of God. And that's the crux of James's passage of what he's trying to get across to the church. You know, what he's doing is he's trying to convert the converted. The church has come... And they have heard and they gather together, but somewhere along the line, they have forgotten the gospel. They have forgotten who they serve. They have forgotten what God has called them to do and who God has called them to be as the church. So throughout this entire series, if you're here and you do not follow Jesus, but you have been tracking with us or you're interested in it, what you can learn from this is What is the church actually supposed to look like and what is the church actually supposed to do? You know what the church is supposed to look like and what the church is supposed to do is very different than how media portrays it. And it is a lot of times very different than what the church is actually supposed to be doing. And that's why James writes this letter and that's why we're reading it today is to understand what was God's original intention for the church? What did he have in mind? And a lot of times it's easy for the church to look exactly like the world instead of looking like God, its image bearer. And so we're going to read this distinction that James makes between those who hear and those who do. It's a very important distinction. So we're going to read verses 22 to 27 in James chapter 1. You can read along with me on the screens. It says, but become doers of the word. 
and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man noticing his natural face in a mirror. For he glances at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who gazes into the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserves, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue while indulging his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're going to start off right where James starts off in this chapter. In verse 22, become doers of the word. Last time, I was going to say last week, but I wasn't here last week. So two weeks ago, if you were here, we ended off on this idea of the implanted word being in us, the word of truth that can save our souls. We read that in verse 21. So James is continuing that thought, saying that we need to be doers of this word. So the word of God not only saves us, but the word of God should actually begin to formulate our actions. The gospel brings us salvation. And a lot of times in church, we end it right there. The gospel is good news for salvation. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. There is good news for you. There is salvation for you. But so often we just end the sermon, you know, we end the thought, we end the understanding, we end the teaching there. But what we have to understand, what James is trying to get across, is that the gospel gives us salvation, yes, uncaring about our past, but what happens when we receive the word of truth, the implanted word of God, is it begins to craft a new future for us. One that is centered around the word of God. So there is a lot of controversy in James. We covered this in the intro about James that uh, there, there are a lot of people over the last 500 years since the Reformation that have not liked different aspects in James. And this is one of the verses that kind of starts that controversy. But what I want us to understand is that Scripture is unified and that we see this understanding that the Word shapes our actions throughout all of Scripture. We see that Paul the Apostle, who, is, who most people that have a shallow view of James think is most at controversy with James, Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Jesus also says this in Matthew 7, 24. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. The word of God was never something that we were just supposed to hear. If our understanding of God just stops at our hearing of God, then there is something that we have missed in the communication of the gospel, in the communication of the word of truth. James says this, he says, just hearing the word of God, but not doing the word of God is this. It is living a life of self-deceit. 
If all you do is hear, but you do not do, you are deceiving yourselves. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are living in the deception of their salvation. And that is hard truth. There are a lot of people that say, yeah, I have heard. Maybe it was a long time ago that they prayed a prayer and that was them in their hearing. But that never turned into doing for them. James says, well, that person has deceived themselves. Because if the word does not change our future, then really, have we encountered the word? That is the argument. That is the thought. See, what is amazing about the word is it doesn't matter your past. You know, and a lot of people have a hard time coming to Jesus because they think, well, I'm too bad for it. You know, as, as funny as this sounds, I, I just, I hear it all the time. I heard it last week when I was talking to somebody. They said they, they never stepped foot in a church because they just thought that God would kill them the moment that they stepped foot in the church, that somehow the, the ceiling was going to open up and lightning was just going to come down and strike them because of all the bad things that they have done. Maybe it is that the person or you have cursed God in your past. You have said you wanted nothing to do with God, that you have, have been angry and have hatred and bitterness towards God. Maybe people have told you things about God that were untrue, that formed this bad thought of who he was. And the truth of God is this, that he wants you to come. That in your sin, nothing, nothing that you have done catches him by surprise. Nothing that you have done, it, it, nothing is greater than his blood. You know, every time that we say that we can't go to God because we think we are too bad for him or we think we have gone too far against him, what we're really saying is that what we have done is more powerful than the sacrifice that he's made. And that's untrue because Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin, all of it. For all of the past, for all of the present, for all of the future. But when our relationship with God stops there, thank you, Jesus, that you accept me for who I am. When it stops there, but goes no further to say, thank you, Jesus, for conforming me to who you are. Then James says, you have lived a life of deceit. And remember, he's writing this to the church. So he's saying the church is living in their own deceit, thinking that just because they have heard that they are good. And what I believe is that is Christian consumerism at its finest. You know, we consume online sermons, we consume books, we consume Bible studies. But if our level of obedience never rises to our level of knowledge, then there is a problem. See, what happens is in the church, in Christian consumerism, what we have is we have a lot of knowledge. And week by week, we grow in our understanding of God and our knowledge of God. And our knowledge begins to become a mountain of pride in our lives. Look at all of the things that I know. Look at all of the things that I can quote. I can quote. But it is croaking. If. Your knowledge is rising into a mountain of pride and your obedience is staying right here. See, you know, I ask myself, sometimes this trips people up. As I was talking to John Malone, I don't know if he was here, but a few months ago we were talking about this. And 
We were talking just about this understanding where it, it trips a lot of people up where you think, man, if somebody's knowledge is up here of God, yet their obedience is here, what is better if somebody's knowledge of God is here and their obedience is here or if their knowledge of God is here and their obedience is here? See, I, James would venture to say that when your obedience to the word of God matches your understanding of God, that is where you want to be. But so often we deceive ourselves because we have heard a lot, we have consumed a lot, we have watched a lot, we have read a lot, but we have not changed a lot. And James is saying, I'm tired of having a church that loves to hear of the good news, but never loves to practice the good news. You have deceived yourselves. That's why I learned I don't care how much scripture you know. I don't know how much doctrine you can quote. If your life has never been changed by them, stop telling me about them. Jab, 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 jab. See, this is, this is double-mindedness. This is, this is James' whole understanding that you hear and you know what is right, you agree to it, but then you walk away from it. We talked about this. How does this happen? This happens when you're a friend of the world. That's what James is trying to say. You have given in to your desires that have tempted you. They have conceived sin in your life. Sin has fully been birthed and it has given birth to death. So when we ask ourselves, what is double-mindedness? It is hearing and not doing. Friendship with the world will produce, friendship with the world will be at work constantly. It will be spinning the wheels in your heart. It will be working overtime to get you to do what it wants. Friendship with the world will hear, but then it will still long for the things of the world. Yeah, I shouldn't scream at my spouse, but I want to win. So louder I go. Yeah, I shouldn't be watching that, but I'm tired. And I don't really want to do anything else. Yeah, I shouldn't be hanging out with this person. But they're the only one who understands me. Double-mindedness is when you hear what is right, when you know what is right, but you still walk to the ways that are wrong. And James, later in verse 23, he says this, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man noticing him, his natural face in a mirror. He, for he glances at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This is why this happens. If you ask yourself, how can I hear constantly? How can I come every single week and hear the word yet go back and continue to do the things that I know that are wrong? The things that I hear that are wrong? The things that I have read that are wrong? How is it possible and James answers that question. He says, your life with God is filled with only glances. A peek here, a peek there, 
but never a true understanding. The minute you walk away from that mirror, the minute you walked away from what you see, you forget who you are. The minute you step outside of these doors, maybe, you're already cursing somebody out for cutting you off on the way home. I've been there. I've I've said my 15-minute prayer. And then hated the next person or got mad at Heather and overreacted or who knows. You know, if you want to list my sins, let's talk later. I'll give you a laundry list. I don't want it to turn into therapy session right now. But he's saying the minute you walk away from that mirror, you forget who you are. You forget that God has called you righteous. You forget that God has called you his own. You forget that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High because all you did was glance into what he has for you. I remember in high school, you know, we just had our retreat last weekend. And I remember in high school, I would... I would go away for the summer. I would go to these retreats. And let me tell you, these were the epitome of my Christianity, the epicenter of everything I lived for. Uh, and Christian, my older brother, he's come and preached here before. One day we were, just, we were chatting and I was like, man, Chris, I'm, just, I'm tired of, of, of my walk with God because I will go on a retreat or I'll go on a mission trip in the summer and I'll come back and I'm just... I want to do all that is for God. And then I just I find myself back to everything else, which for me as a high school student was uh, flirting with everybody that talked to me, was watching pornography, was uh, lying to my parents about how often I played video games. Like they may seem trivial to you right now, but like these these were the things that consumed my life, that I was a dishonest, self-absorbed, lustful kid like that. That was me, and I would go away for these times, or there would be a good altar call at church, or something would happen at a mission trip, and I'd come back and think, man, I'm never going to be like that. I have heard, and I want to do. But what happened is I would be like that person who looks in the mirror, they see what God wants, and then walks away, and I would immediately forget. And this messed with me for so long. Because I, 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 we would call it the spiritual high syndrome, right? I would go to this retreat, I would have a great altar call, or I'd go on a mission trip and I'd come back and I'd be ready to go, but leave me for a few hours by myself and I was just right back to my old ways. And what I realize now is what happened is I was just glancing at God every once in a while. I would get excited every time I would glance at him and be like, man, that would be great if that was the picture of me. Wouldn't it be nice if if what God had for me, if that was me, and I would take a little peek. I'd say, man, your presence, God, is so amazing. I never want to be anywhere else. Every time I glanced in his presence, it was a spiritual high in my life. Every time, maybe for you, it's, Coming on a Sunday, this is the only time that you have with God. And so what's happening is you're getting a a glance of him every Sunday. But when you go back, as soon as you leave here, you are immediately forgetting what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be. But James says true change happens not when we 
glance at God or glance at him every now and then, true change happens with a gaze. In verse 25, it says, but the one who gazes into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, when you gaze into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and you preserve, you endure, all of that instability begins to go away. And this is what I didn't know as a young Christian. Subsequently, also, I was a young man. I didn't realize I would get so frustrated because I would see what God had for me. I would glance every Sunday. One Sunday is one hour out of 168 hours. That was not enough for me to sit and to gaze into the law of God, into the things of God. It was just enough for me to glance at it, think about it for a second, and then get mad at myself two hours later when I didn't do it. It was just enough for me to be burned out and say, God is not real. It was just enough for me to say, you know what, I don't want to walk this Christian life because I'm tired of knowing all the right things but not being able to do any of the right things. Come on, this was my Christian walk for years, probably a decade of my life. I struggled with this. But James says, with a gaze, that is when the double-mindedness will leave. That you will become a hearer and a doer of the word. Have a faith that is perfected through endurance, as we read earlier in this chapter. We need to stop glancing at what God has called us to be and start gazing into his word. When he says gaze into the perfect law, this is not the law of the Torah of the rituals. It's the law of God that reveals his character and his nature and his heart. All these things that are found in scripture. Right? If we we read Deuteronomy or we read Genesis or we read Exodus and Leviticus and those things are just like, why would I ever in my right mind read these things? If, If that is how we feel then something needs to change in our heart because this is what James is talking about, to gaze into the law of God, the law of liberty. Because these things reveal the character of God. They reveal who God is. And what happens is when you begin to learn more about God and you begin to gaze into His Word, when you meditate on His Word, it begins to change something in you that you begin to conform to who He is. That's the work of the Holy Spirit producing sanctification in your life. And if you go home and you read Deuteronomy, you think, why am I reading this? Well, you're in luck. We did a whole series on Deuteronomy that lasted for close to five months. And it was all about how do you read a book of Deuteronomy and learn about the character of God? You can go back on the podcast and listen to that. This is so important for us to understand. We have to understand the law is not useless. It teaches us about God. In Psalm 1, it says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water 
that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is a perfect parallel and example of a friend of God and a friend of the world that James is drawing from here. The worldly are what? Driven away by the wind like chaff. Does that sound familiar? James says what? A friend of the world is tossed by the wind. Here it says that they will perish. James says what? They will disappear. But the friend of God, James says, gazes into the perfect law, the law of liberty. In Psalm 18.8, it says that is the law without blemish. In Psalm 118, in verse 29, it says the law is a source of mercy. In verse 105, it says the law is a light. In verse 43, it says the law is the truth. Paul, in Romans Romans 7, says of the law. Verse 14, he says that the law is spiritual. In verse 16, he says it is good. In verse 12, he says it is holy and righteous and good. It is clear. The one who meditates in the law, who gazes, right? What Psalm 1 says, who meditates in it day and night, that person is planted. Your leaf will not wither, Psalm 1 says, and all that you do will prosper. James puts it this way. He says that person will endure. They will be exalted. They will receive good and perfect gifts from above and they will be blessed. Jesus confirms this in Luke 11, verse 26. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We have to be a church that does not just take glances on a Sunday or at a Bible study or once in a while at a retreat. But we have to be people who gaze into the law and the word of God and meditate on it day and night. If you have found your life to be double-minded, if you have been unstable, if you see the seesaw effect happening in your walk in God, if your walk is characterized more like a roller coaster than it is like a marathon, then something is wrong. And James says that something is this. You have just been glancing at the things of God. You have not been staring You have not been meditating. You have not been sitting down and entering in. We can't think that every Sunday that we just get our one hour glance. Once a year we get a glance during a retreat. Or maybe here and there we get a good prayer meeting and a Bible study. And that these peaks will be the thing that changes us. What changes us is how the Holy Spirit works in our heart through the word of God that as we sit and we meditate on it what happens we grow roots when the winds come when the storms come what happens to a strong tree it stands firm throughout the test of time even it's crazy if you look at the rings of a tree you can tell the life of a tree even through all the different fires that it's been through do you know that a tree can essentially burn down but still stay alive 
Why? Because it's rooted, it's planted. And that is what James is saying. That's what it's like to be a person who follows God and gazes into the law of liberty, into the perfect law, who allows that word of truth, the implanted word, to truly seek in. And through the test of time, that person endures and that endurance builds a faith that is perfected. And we will see that person to be blessed. But James then, he makes a clarification because he, know, he knows Christians. Come on, even back then, we, we still acted the same. He, he's saying, I know some of you are reading this letter and thinking, I am a hearer and a doer. Don't worry, James. I got this down pat. I know what I'm doing. I'm a professional Christian. I've been doing this a long time. So James says, all right, we're, we've been talking in theory Let's talk in practice. And so in verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue while indulging his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's put the beginning this way. If you live without controlling your speech and always indulging in your heart, your religion is worthless, James says. He gets into what it means. He talks a lot about speech, about the speech of people who are into the church later on. We're going to get into that. But he says that if, if you never control what you say, if you are always indulging in your heart, you know, there's a story, I think I might have shared this before. When I lived in Ohio, we, there was a Christians, uh, we called them the super safe folk. It was this, uh, this group of young adults that they would go from church to church. You know, they, wherever God led them that Sunday, that's the church that they were going to. And every once in a while, they would show up at our church or at one of our Bible studies. And they were, they were teaching us a game that they used to play. And the game that they used to play was this. They would, uh, they would say... God, what are you going to give me? And they would close their minds. And the first thing that came to their mind was the thing that God was going to give them. These are Christians, right? And what was happening is that they were looking at the indulgences of their flesh, of their heart, of the desires, and saying that these things were good. That, you know, they would come up, oh, God is going to give me a new boyfriend. I'm not even playing. Like, these are real things that... We're being said like, God is going to give me a yacht. God is going to give me a, a better job. Or God is going to give me this, right? Like, these are the first thing that comes to your mind, which really, this was not the first thing God was sharing them. It was the first thing that their heart was lusting after. And James says, if you are someone who doesn't control what you say and your everything you do is indulging in your heart's desire, then your religion, and religion here literally means this, having a divine relationship or having a relationship with the divine. It means your proximity, your closeness to God. He's saying if this is your life, then you are what? A hearer and not a doer. He says a true mark of a Christian, hearers and doers are people who do these three things. They visit orphans, they visit widows, and they keep themselves unstained from the world. This is religion that is pure and undefiled. 
So a true Christian, James is saying, someone who is not only a hearer, but is also a doer, is someone who does things for others without expectation for gain. It's someone who says to God, I want to be holy like you are holy. You know, it's, you know I've been a pastor, I don't know, seven years, going on seven years now. And which, by the way, we had our first preview service two years ago, just a few days ago. So praise God for that. It is incredible what he has done in two years. Side note. Uh, but I've been a pastor for seven years, been in ministry my whole life. I'm a pastor's kid. A lot of people would say I've done a lot of spiritual things. I've read a lot of spiritual books. I've listened to a lot of spiritual sermons. I have preached. I've witnessed to people. I've seen people come to know God. I have, you know, been a youth pastor. I've done sound. I mean, I've been in practically every ministry in the church. I've done all of these things. Yet... To this day, uh, me and my brother joke around that the most spiritual thing that I have done is help my great uncle, who is now 91, go shopping. You know, anybody that knows me for long enough, you've heard stories about Uncle Louie. Uncle Louie is, I'm fourth generation on both sides. Uncle Louie is my great-grandfather's brother, Italian. He was a longshoreman down at the docks around Red Hook in downtown Brooklyn. Grew up Avenue U, so he is as Brooklyn and as hood as they come, right? Every time we go out to go shopping, he is making a friend with one person while cursing out another person. Like, he has said things that are so disrespectful to the people that we talk to, or like he's smiling and talking with them, and then he'll just say something like, you're going nowhere in your life. And I'm like, Uncle Louie, what are you doing? Shut up. Like, why are you saying that? You know, the, the guy had absolutely zero appreciation. You know, it was just like, if I missed one meeting but was there the last 30 times, it was just a continual curse out for 30 minutes straight. I mean, some people have ridden in my car with me when he calls. You know, there is no exaggeration there. For 10 years, I was just able to take him to go shopping because, you know, he couldn't go shopping. He wanted to go to all of his favorite spots. And... Honestly, to this day, when I think of the most spiritual, the most religious things that I've done in my life, that is among the top most spiritual things that I can see in my life. Because that is what James is talking about. That is true religion. That is truly being a Christian is when you get around people and you begin to help them and there's nothing that they have to offer you. There's nothing that they can give back. So much of our life, so much is intertwined around, I give you, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. I'm coming for a favor as long as I do this. We keep a record of wrongs. We keep a record of things that we have done right so that we can call upon those things, constantly keeping the scales even. But James is saying that is not true religion. Jesus put it this way. What does it mean if you love the people who love you? Even the world loves them. But what? Being a Christian is to love your enemies, right? The, the people that everybody else would say, well, you're not supposed to love your enemies, right? James is saying you are supposed to be doing things. What a true Christ follower, one who has the word implanted in them, a hearer and a doer of the word, goes to people in their affliction and they help them. They don't do it for community service hours. They don't do it for a prize at the end. They don't do it to incur religious points when you get to heaven. You do it because 
This is what it means to be a Christian. That God did something for us. That he sent his only begotten son. Why? Because we have nothing to offer him. He did it purely for his love for us. Right? The orphan today is kids that grow up in foster care. Kids that are in broken homes. How do we, as a church, make sure that we care for these children? The widow today is the single mom. How do we come around the single mom and care for them and help them? And go to them and say, what is it? You know, is it back to school supplies or is it, can I clean? Can I watch your kids? What, what can I do? Can I take them out to a movie to give you some free time or alone time? You know, widows at this point were usually women who, single moms who are raising their kids because their, their husband either died in a war or something happened and they were alone. Today we live in a society of divorce and so the widow is the single mom is the single parent in the home james says a a true church is the church that takes care of the vulnerable of the one who looks to the ones that literally can't offer in return or not like we'll help you as long as you tithe you know as as long as as long as you do this, or as long as you do that, or, you know, if I can get a good meal out of it, I'll help you. James says, no. True religion, true Christianity, true followers of God are ones who see the orphan and the widow, and they go to them. There's nothing that they can offer. There's nothing that they can give, maybe, but that does not change how I spend my time. That does not change what I can do. We can't be a church that lives to be comfortable. We can't be consumers of everything and givers of nothing. We can't say, I'm only going to do as long as I can see a return on that. Jesus offers this one thing. And he says, you will get reward in heaven. But so often we look for what tangible reward will I have now? And if it does not fit into that pyramid scheme of life, then I will not do it. But the true Christian visits those in their affliction. And loves them. If Christianity, if your Christianity only puts you around people that elevate your status or build your wealth, then you are truly a friend of the world. If it does not bring you to the afflicted where there is no chance of gain, no chance of elevation, then we have not done what we heard. If we live continually stained, By this world in our actions and in our speech, James is making a call. And he says, gaze into the perfect law. Don't get caught up in how much you have lacked. 
but get caught up in how much God can do in your life. It was so easy for me to think, God, I keep on failing over and over and over again. And I've, I've seen people not finish the race because they get caught up in how sinful they are and how poorly they have done the job. But instead, there is one thing that God has called me to do. Justin, when you fall, when you trip, when you sin, don't get caught up in the things around you, the pit you in, you are in. But gaze into my perfect law. Keep your eyes on me. And what will happen? You will grow roots. You will be planted. You will endure. You will prosper. I pray that we become a gazing church. That our church is not identified by a great glance that we get every week or every year. But our church becomes people who meditate on the law day and night. That we say, God, we do not want to be hearers only, but we want to be hearers and doers of what you have called us to do. God, teach us to stare deeply into your word of truth, your law of liberty. That we would be holy like you are holy. Can you stand with me and pray? Father, I pray that we would not get caught up in our lack, but we would get caught up in what you can do. That we would not get caught up in our mistakes and the things that we have done wrong, Father, but we would get caught up by your spirit right now. And realize, God, the stability that we have been longing for, God, the depth of relationship that we have needed, Father, the, 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 the water, the well that we have thirsted for, God, that the answer that we have looked for is here. It is in your word. It is in your scripture. Father, I pray that we would be people of the word, that it would be implanted in us, that we would meditate, God, day and night. Father, that we would be convicted of the ways that we have indulged our hearts and that we have let loose our tongues. Lord, the ways that we have understood more than we have obeyed and we have been proud of that. Father, I pray that we would see the cure for our double-mindedness today for the ways that we have just glanced at the things of God but have never truly gazed. And that we would see, God, the perfect law, the law of liberty that sets us free from the things that keep us going back to the things of the world. The friendships that we know have haunted and destroyed so much of our life. That we would gaze into you. And we allow the gospel not only to save us, but that we would allow it to transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. As we begin to pray, this front space up here will be open. The leaders will be here and will be standing so that we can pray for you. If anybody wants prayer for any reason, whether it's something that you heard today or something is going on in your life that you need some ministry, I just...
I encourage you to come up and receive prayer and allow God to just do His work during worship. Thank you.